Hello, legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today I catch up with Charles Canning-Smith, a long-standing Cub member, CEO of Chocolate Mobile and partner at Ballpark Ventures, which is a venture capital firm that specializes in early stage tech investments. Ballpark has had some huge successes, including the sale of Depop, a company that they've invested in that sold for $1.6 billion just recently, and many other successes. Charles and the team at Ballpark are experts in finding great investment opportunities. And today, Charles shared with us exactly what it is that they look for with a focus on identifying industry change waves, um, uh, focusing on the team and the people involved in the business, and of course, the product itself. Charles also shared what you should be doing as someone raising capital uh, to attract money best. Uh, It was a great conversation. Enjoy the show. Hi, Charles. Hi. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. I've been talking to you lots uh, as of late on on these type of things. Uh, now that you've joined our investor board uh, at Cub, so thank you for that. Oh well, th- thank you for inviting me on it. We had to get you on because, I, like we said, I, I quickly realised that of our board of investors, which for the listeners is our board of members that uh, sit at the helm of uh, of what we call the Investor Club at Cub, which is a group of members, uh, which I, I think there's something like 130 members uh, plus in there now, all of which are active venture capitalists. And and uh, we've got a board that represents that group and kind of chairs that group and Charles is on it. But but like I said to you, I, just re- I realized once we put the board together, it's like, shit, Charles is the only board member that doesn't have a podcast episode yet. We've got, we've got to get him on. We've got to, especially now that we've had a lot of practice talking in, in on these type of platforms with the community. Um, so I'm expecting lots from today. <laughs> no pressure then. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Just a chilled out conversation between two friends. But, um, but uh, yeah, look, I, I really did want to somewhat replicate a lot of the information that um, yourself and the other board members had shared uh, with our community in our uh, investor group meetings uh, that we've been doing because um, I know how valuable that was uh, to our community. I think um, to the thousands of listeners that will be uh, tuning in um, uh, to this episode, I just think that would be endlessly valuable, not just for uh, people interested in investing, but uh, the episode will be fent- – it's probably even more important – um, for those who are raising capital, because it's going to give them a bit of an insight into what investors and VC firms actually look for. That's right. Uh, you're obviously you're the CEO of Chocolate Mobile, and That's you're right. the um, uh, you're, you're a partner at Ballpark Ventures, which uh, is a um, early stage tech venture capital firm. Is that correct? That's right. Why don't you give us a bit of an introduction to to Ballpark? Yeah. So um, as you said, it's an early stage venture capital firm. Uh, we are, are sort of areas of, of um, or sweet spots, as we like to say in the industry, are around m-commerce, which is mobile first commerce, um, e-commerce. Um, we've got quite a few around mobile advertising, so sensory mobile advertising. We've got a little bit in AI, uh, cognitive mapping. These are all the types of industries Ballpark has invested in. Exactly right. And we've invested in about 25 startups. Well, when we started out, a lot of those companies 
Um, you often get the bad news first, sort of with the ones that are struggling. But as the sort of the fund matures, um, you start to sort of um, see the, the the really great companies emerging from that. And we've been lucky enough to to back some really um, exciting companies in the portfolio. Have you had any big winners yet? We have. Our biggest win actually to date came this year um, with a, a company called Depop, which we um, backed from uh, the seed stage. Wow. Um, and uh, they were acquired by Etsy, which is um, quite a big e-commerce site in June of this year. And uh, yeah, that was actually a, a unicorn exit for us. They were acquired for $1.6 billion. Well, And so you guys got in at the seed round. We got in very early with that one. Oh, so you had a ruby win recently. We did. So we finally, that's always the dream with with uh, venture capital, I guess, or the the holy grail is is to try and um, is to have a unicorn, and we've been lucky enough to now have one that's exited. There's a few others in the portfolio that we're very excited about, and and um, and hopeful there may be some more yet to come. Yeah, how long has the fund been going for you now? So we're into year with um, with the first sort of vintage. It's about eight years in now. So that's okay. generally sort of, they, they often sort of factor um, about 10 years. So we're coming towards the exciting part where you, you often see the exit starting to come through. Yeah, so you're not a brand new fund. For example, you didn't just snag a unicorn on the first year or second year. No. <laughs> you've, 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 you guys have had a lot of experience going in there. And That's right. And it's, fine. Been, it's been a long way. But, and um, Depop's huge. I know that because I, I've heard our, our um, staff talking. I, I, I think Alice uses Depop. You buy clothes on there, no? It's a big, big company. Well, obviously, it's a unicorn. And was that an Australian company? No, they actually started in um, in Italy, but it's predominantly a London, UK based company. Or that's or, or initially as it started. I mean, obviously now they're global. They actually started. The name was was Garage or My Garage. I mean, we'll probably get into a little bit of this mm. um, uh, later you know, on. Later on, but um, it's a really good example of um, with when we look at companies. Often, if you looked at what we call the total addressable market. Uh, a t- total available market, the TAM at the time for that wouldn't have appeared to have been that big because you'd have said, okay, well, it's it's buying, selling secondhand clothes. Their name's My Garage. If you look at the market for sort of thrift and garage sales, that's not that big. But you would have completely missed the um, the opportunity because what they were able to do was essentially remove a lot of the friction that's involved in in buying and selling clothes, but also create a an amazing sort of brand um, and community around that area and and one of the things they tapped into is that with the sort of young generation coming through of sort of 15 to 20 year olds they're all sort of very much mobile first um, but they're also very interested in uh, sustainability and individuality and it's cool to actually to 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 recycle and and um, and they've really tapped into that huge wave and um when they started, it was almost like they were building a following and they were the early adopters and they were quite lucky to get some very kind of cool influencers that got behind them. And they essentially sort of created a movement where it's, it's, it's become this um, amazing place to go and discover new fashion, to uh, you can be your own sort of um, little entrepreneur. I mean, one of the moments where I knew that was an, a really exciting investment for us was I discovered my two daughters who are 11 and 13 were using, they'd actually downloaded it and, and their friends were all, were all buying and selling kind of tops and clothes um, through the app. And that, that, that's the special thing that, that not many companies 
get, probably very, 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 very few companies get. It's when their customers aren't customers. It becomes more than that. The customer identifies with the entity of the brand. That's right. Kind of like I am this person, therefore I am using that. You know, the brand stands for something. It's something very hard to do because like, um, even with cupboard, something I've thought a lot about is how do we create that? How do you, and, and, and honestly, I still don't know. I still haven't, um, um, yeah, I haven't grasped that yet, but there are some companies that do, for example, like I know like one of Cub's founding members, Jane Lou from Shopo, she did that as well. If you look at her brand Shopo, they've got like this, not cult following, but like, it's like a, it's the, it's a community. It's like a demographic of, of young women who, who, who love that style of clothing. And you know, that's, that's, that their marketing speaks to those, to the, that niche. And they're, they're more than clients. They're, they're, they're it's a community. Exactly it's, right. It's, it's a type of people that I should probably look more into Depop and learn from that. If you are looking for your next unicorn though, there's an Australian one coming and it's the Cub app. <laughs> um, I, I will scream that from the rooftops. Uh, well, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I think it launches this week, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Version one launches this week. It's, it's obviously um, a members only um, app, social media, but the greater goal is to create uh, the world's largest and, and best social media exclusively for business owners, um, allowing us uh, business owners and entrepreneurs. There's the same thing. I don't even know why we always say the two of them. I, I just think some people might define themselves. Ah, who, who knows? But, but for business owners, and um, and yeah, it's going to be member built, member designed, member funded. So it's it's going to be a cub baby, if you will. And and as the club, we're going to be sending it out into the universe to go to go dominate and, and build another um, position in the world of, of social media. So um, uh, like I said, if you're looking to make a bit more cash, Depop didn't get you enough. I promise you the Cub <laughs> app is going to sell for more than a billion. So, cool. well, well, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And you know what else it is this week? It's actually Cub's sixth birthday. That's right. Which I bring up because you've probably been a member for close to five years or so yep. now. Um, and uh, you even disappeared, moved back to London for a bit. And when you came back, you joined back up. Uh, That's right. With the club. So I love the loyalty. <laughs> I love it. But um, let's jump into, let's talk about yourself and, and your background. You're obviously from England, but um, were you always in business? What were, you know, was it something your family uh, encouraged or, you know, how, how did you kind of start your, your career? Yeah. Um, so I, I've always been wanted to sort of be, you know, interested in, in business and, you know, sort of wanting to sort of be an entrepreneur, even though sort of um, often with my, my, my friends and sort of, um, in fact, one of the very first things that I, I sort of did was when I was about 16, I was working, I had a paper round and um, I, I actually hired out um, the local nightclub and organized a party for um, kind of all the, the sort of seniors, which would have been sort of year 12s. Um, and you were younger than they were. Yeah, I was younger. I, was, I would have been the year below, sort of year, and, um, and organized a party and actually... It was a huge success and um, I made more money in that one night organizing that party than I did with my paper around the whole year. And it sort of just gave me a little kind of, um, I guess, encouragement that if you show some initiative and, that you know, there's opportunities out there. Um, so that sort of pushed me into wanting to do sort of business. So I did international business at university and, um, and really enjoyed that. And then on completing university, I got the opportunity to move, uh, spend... Um, 
a year in New York doing an internship with an analyst firm called Basics, who are sort of similar to Gartner and Forrester Research. Um, so we'd have a lot of very exciting startups that would come and, um, and, and talk to us about what they were doing. And our job was to essentially listen to them and, and sort of, um, and, and we would then write about uh, trends that were happening in tech and provide research for these companies. And, and I loved it. And it was really interesting meeting all of them. And I get a real sense of excitement about what they were doing. And, you know, being in New York, the office was actually in the Empire State Building. So it really, you know, for a, for a young guy kind of, super uh, cool. it was super cool. And I loved it. But the one thing that kind of niggled there was actually just sitting there and writing about it wasn't really my passion. What I realized was I wanted to be on the other side of that table and was much more sort of interested in, in being, um, you know, an entrepreneur myself and, 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 and getting into sort of, um, uh, you know, the startup space. When I got back to England, um, I got an opportunity to get uh, to um, help a friend out who had a, a company in the mobile space. And that opened up um, a really exciting industry to me because it was very fast paced, um, highly competitive, and, and sort of, there was a lot of interesting stuff happening there with tech. I mean, I'm probably showing my age a little bit, but when we started into there, that was when it was sort of feature phones and and what's, uh, what's a feature? Which phone? are the old sort of so it's probably an industry in which are the old Nokia sort of. Uh, this is pre-smartphone essentially. So the ones with snake on it. And that exactly. So very basic, and the products were often sort of, you know, mobile content products that we were involved with were were often very basic text-based products. The games were, you know, as you say, very basic and there were, there were ringtones, but um, I got the opportunity to, to work in that space and, and realized that that was actually a really exciting industry. And that led me to actually, um, to set up um, initially Consumer First, which was an M-commerce company in that industry, followed by um, Chocolate Mobile, which again, specializes in in, in essentially mobile entertainment, bringing great products uh, through mobile to, um, to, to the masses. And so what, what year was that that you started getting to the mobile So that space? would have been um, 2003. And then... Um, that was just before the iPhone. I know that because the iPhone came out, I think, in 2006, wasn't it? That's right. The um, first one. Yeah, yeah. I had a BlackBerry <laughs> around then, I think. Yeah. That's right. So, so, so what was exciting about that was I was already in that space and, and, and we guess we're sort of early innovators in a way because it was, you know, the products were still quite clunky and basic, but, you know, to your point, the, um, the iPhone was coming and that, that turned out to be a game changer for the industry. Um, and on, on, on two sides, one was obviously with the, what you could do and, and the products and, and, and services that you could offer to customers. All of a sudden you had this big screen, you had video, uh, rich media, really cool games um, coming through. So with, with Chocolate Mobile, like we were able to sort of partner with, um, with content providers such as uh, games providers um, is a good example. And then we would help them sort of um, take those to market in different countries, but with us, our sort of um, focus was with mobile advertising. We were again very, very early in the journey with that, and off the back of that, we we immediately saw there was huge potential because if you've got really good mobile services and you've got mobile advertising, the two's a perfect marriage. But right, interestingly, when we started, that wasn't obvious. Yeah, you'd it's had, hard to think back. To, it's really it? hard to imagine yeah. now, but you had. With, with the Nokia's, it was so basic. I mean, I had a lot of friends in the advertising ecosystem that had no interest in mobile advertising. They were all heavily focused on digital online 
web advertising and they hadn't realized the the enormous potential market of the future that was there. And off the back of that, that actually led me to make my first investment, which was in a company called Ring Ring Media, who were a mobile advertising company. And I was an early uh, sort of a first client of theirs and, and sort of said to them, look, uh, I'd love to invest in in the business. Um, I can also, uh, you know, I'm doing a lot of advertising in this space. So it's sort of like um, a really good fit. And there were two sort of changes that were really coming through. One was the fact that through the, the smartphones coming through, you all of a sudden the amount of sites that were available that you could access just went through the roof. So enormous amounts of sort of mobile, what we call inventory became available. So um, whereas before we were, it was we you know we were buying up all the all the advertising we could get. All of a sudden that just exploded. And because were in, because internet or mobiles grew. exactly. Because do you right. remember before that I used to have like obviously Blackberries weren't too bad, but before Blackberries there was internet on mobiles, but it was the shittest internet you've ever. It was like a special Google for internet. Yeah, that's and, right for, for phones and and they were really, I would have been twelve, I think, <laughs> or like thirteen or something like that. But yeah, but, so so that led to. Um, to getting involved in that company. And, and, and I, I sat on the board and, 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 and went on a great journey through that from startup all the way through to, um, to them being acquired. And, and off the back of that, sort of that actually um, led me to sort of uh, doing some sort of angel investing after that, um, which was in sort of some, some startups. And then the reason Ballpark was created was the founder of Ring Ring, a guy called Harry Dewhurst, um, was also doing some angel investing. I was doing some. And he said to me, look, why don't we pull together some of the investments we're doing and we'll bring in some um, some other partners and um, we'll raise some money, put some money in ourselves, and we'll go out and we'll find some really cool sort of um, startups to to get behind. And, um, and that was the start. And that was the start. And I guess it's that sort of really, you know, strategy of, of a portfolio approach. So obviously it's you know the more if you can have 25 companies then your chances of um succeeding you know, of succeeding obviously increases um you know and that's a lot easier than you know, you can get lucky and, and cherry pick companies but obviously taking a portfolio approach makes a lot more sense that's how most vcs work exactly they, right. they'll they'll make a, a load of a ton of investments they, they lose a lot of them but the ones that win make up for the make up for the losses and then some that's kind of the concept exactly it? right and do you remember the first unveiling of the iPhone? I yeah. remember watching it. And I remember which room I, I was living in Paris at the time. I was in my dining room watching it. I don't know what I was watching it on though. But I remember Steve Jobs like, fuck, I love Steve Jobs so much. He's just the greatest. But, but I remember he was like teasing you. He was teasing the audience with like, you know, it's a it's a web browsing device, a music player, yeah. and a phone. You know, he was saying we've got three three. We're releasing three products today: a web browser, a, a, a phone, and whatever the fuck else I said. Yeah. Um, and then bang, you kind of get it. It's like he's like teasing you, and he's like, "Oh my god, he's put them all together," and he yeah. unveils the iPhone. That's one of the best best unveilings of a product. The fact that I, you know, how many products can you remember where you were when you first watched? the unveiling or, or when you first discovered it, you know, the fact that I can even recite that, yep. it just shows that like, wow, that was like, I don't know if it was the fact that the product was so amazing or if it was more so the, the way that he, he presented it, 
but like it's just something special, isn't it? And and like I said, it it was it opened up a wave of opportunity which people like yourself saw before it was coming and jumped right in. Exactly right. And um, those changes, so that with the sort of change waves and then how they can sort of propel a business forward. One of them's a what we big categories called technological changes mm-hmm. and um, the introduction of obviously of um, of smartphones and the iPhone was a huge wave and that's that, that that's, that's been heavily involved in quite a few of the companies that that we've backed and another um techno- big technological change that came through was for example when the iPhone put GPS locators in the phones and famously obviously Uber um have piggybacked on that because what that then meant was that with a high level of accuracy a driver and a passenger could find each other but um so if you'd have taken that business before the iPhone and said, you know, Uber wouldn't have worked. It just wouldn't have, had, you know, you, you wouldn't have had that uh, that wave to propel it forward. But um, so the concept you're talking about is identifying these waves. Exactly and, right. And kind of riding them to new opportunities. Exactly right. And and so you've got, often it can be a technological change that you, um, that creates um, what you see could be a, a, a large, you know, big potential market of the future. Another one could be an adoption wave and, and, Taking the, um, the the smartphone example again, that's another thing that we've sort of uh, followed a lot is that we knew very early on that smartphone adoption was going to was going to happen really quickly and accelerate, particularly around that sort of um, you know once the iPhone had come out, you saw it. We saw it in the developed countries like Australia and the UK and America. You'd see the adoption sort of skyrocket, and then after that, in developing countries. Um, the, the same pattern occurred where, where um, people moved from those old feature phones to the smartphones really quickly and that created a huge amount of opportunities. Um, you know. I don't understand though why that's a surprise. Like is the way you said that was like, oh, it's really surprising that the market adopted this new style of phone. But if someone said to me, for example, there's a new style of car, you don't have to put petrol in it. Um, it you don't even have to drive it. It drives you. It drives you to wherever you want to go, so you can sit in the passenger seat and be productive. Um, and it's um, uh, it, it's it's expensive, but it's not as expensive as you know the luxury cars. And yeah. um, I would imagine that it has more boot space. It's better for the planet, and it gave you all these benefits. I mean, reasonably, you'd just assume that most people are going to jump on this car. Yeah. It's kind of ha- it's not happened yet, but you know, Tesla's obviously trying to break that, but. But, um, yeah, why was it a surprise that people jumped on the iPhone? It was obviously a lot better. Yeah. So the challenge is, is sort of actually seeing those ways, but then looking at w- what companies could benefit from this. And that's where it sort of gets interesting is, is trying to sort of um, to identify an interesting business that could capitalize on that change. Because you're exactly right. Once, you know, the iPhone came up, it was head and shoulders so far better than everything else we'd had before it was a no-brainer that that was going to sort of, you know, this was going to be the future. But where it becomes um, interesting is then you then, then you look at okay, what businesses could could capitalise on this um, and and benefit from this um, and and so for us with um, you know with Chocolate Mobile, that's something where we've we've been able to very much, particularly that that specific kind of wave uh, has been has been a very um, a very influential one. 
for us, but but also with Ballpark, um, with there's there's quite a few companies that I mentioned in the portfolio that have been able to benefit just from that change alone, sort of um, around the mobile advertising space. We've got another company called Loop Me who are doing very well. They use sort of um, AI to help sort of uh, provide um, advertisers get much more relevant advertising um, that that's served up to the customers. Um, so so that's often the challenge. It's actually just finding the um, the right so as an investor, yeah. so as an investor, you're looking for businesses that are able to capitalize on these change waves, whether it be technology adoption, blah blah. blah. That's one of your skills. But yeah. so let's say you've you've jumped on this um, change wave. Uh, you've found uh, ten businesses, uh, of which all of whom are attempting or well positioned to capitalize from this newfound change. What are the things that you look for in those businesses? How do you do your due diligence in order to um, assume the highest possible success rate yep. uh, of a business? What do you look for? What are the most important yep. things? That's a great question. And, and you're exactly right. So the first thing we're, we're often looking at is um, those change waves. Are, is there something that can propel this business forward to a large you know, potential market of the future? But, but the next step then is, is the team. And it's looking at, um, because one is just not enough. You, you need you need the two really to have something um, that's really got, got a great chance of succeeding. So then we're, we're really looking at, at the team. Um, how passionate are they about the problem that they're, they're looking to solve? Do they have domain expertise um, in that industry? Have they been there and, and done it before? How resilient are they? Also, the, the combination of people involved in that team, sort of, do, do they have the right sort of mix of skills? Um, I think uh, sort of, uh, you know, and I mentioned this to you when we did the uh, the investor chat was um, the, um, the example of Ocean's Eleven is a great one um, for when you're looking at, at sort of building a great team, because it's, you know, it's not enough to know all the money's in the Bellagio bank. You need to have the, you know, the crack team to get it out. So you have the, you know, the acrobat, you've got the SWAT team driver, you've got the, um, and then it's sort of, you've got George Clooney masterminding it all. And, and, and really we're often, you know, we're looking at, at, at assessing that team's ability to, um, to, to, to sort of build a great company and capitalize on on that that wave that that we that we believe in as well and then finally um, and, and interesting this one actually for us is the last is is then the product itself because that's one that can often be you know a great team going after a really big market of the future can you know they will um, sort of reiterate and, and that product will change and evolve over time anyway. So that's actually the sort of, 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 the, of the big three, that's, that's actually the lowest one for us. So, and, and so just to reiterate, the first one is that change wave, but really what comes with that is, okay, with this change wave, what is the uh, potential market that's exactly. going to come? So it's really, that's like the market. There's a big change. People are going to be moving the way they use X or Y, and this is the market that's going to be available for us to enter. Then exactly. after that, you've got the team. And what I or, or I have next to it, people, because I was going to ask you, um, is, it just, is it just the team or is it also the other investors that have been involved or potentially the advisory board? or So is it the team or is it, I guess, the social proof of the people that are involved in total, the stakeholders? Yeah. I mean, really great teams attract other great people around them. And that's not just within the team itself but also with um, the, um, you know, often the people that are choosing to invest in that business too. 
Um, I mean, a lot of the, um, the, the, with what we do, interesting with Ballpark, we don't actually put our contact details sort of on the site. What, we, what we actually say is, look, we're all well-connected individuals. Go out and, and reach out through our network and, and find a way to, to sort of get a warm introduction. And we found that works really well. It's almost sort of a, a first test of initiative to actually go out there and, um, and, 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 and find a way to, to, to get in touch with us or convince someone that we know and trust to, to, to sort of put you forward. I mean, um, and there's a lot of that. That's not to say you can't, you know, you can't do it other ways, but that's worked really well for us. Um, and, and also the founders that we work with um, will often introduce other uh, founders um, to us. And, and, and that's, the, that, that's been a really um, great way for us to find companies as well. And the first thing you said with, with team is passion. Exactly. Is the team passionate about what they're doing? Why do you think passion is so important? So is that, is that, that this person does, is not, not just doing it just to make money, they're doing it because they're passionate about why or? Exactly. Because, I mean, it's hard. Building a startup is really, really hard. And you are going to come across a lot of um, bumps in the road. There's going to be a lot of times when you're under a lot of stress. Maybe you're running out of money or maybe you, you know, a key person leaves or maybe uh, you, Shit happens. you get a large competitor come into your space. There's, uh, there's a million and one things that, that, that are going to make it a really, really hard journey. I mean, we often say that, you know, with our startups that, you know, you, you're dead and you have to prove you're alive, you know, sort of is, 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 is the mentality that you have to have. Um, and, and you need an incredible amount of resilience to to go on that journey. I mean, it's a long journey and it's a hard one. So you have to be passionate about what you're doing. Um, you've got to want to get out of bed in the morning and put those hours in to, to, to solve that problem. And, and those, the, those founders that really have that, that grit, that passion behind them, we have found have been, you know, sort of, um, you know, the, the, the best ones and the ones that we really want to kind of, you know, come on board with and come on that journey with. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just so important because it's kind of like, I just want to stay on the topic of team and people because business is just people. And so if you're raising capital, particularly if you're a startup, even if you're not a startup and you, you know, you're in whatever you'd call series A, B, C, whatever, even if you're a billion dollar company already, a company is still just people, no people, right. no, no business, no company. And, and perhaps at that startup stage, it's kind of like, well, your business, I mean, they come up with these big valuations, which are, are relatively meaningless because they, they most times are losing money of anything. So it's kind of like, well, as an investor, I'm essentially buying the team, you, in, in, not buying you, but I'm investing in you. And therefore, if you're raising capital at that stage of business, for example, if I'm going to raise capital for um, the public version of the Cub app, I'm going to be selling who we are, the team. You know, it's, it's kind of like, well, that's where your money's going. So they need a highlight, even in the pitch deck, but in their communications, everything you've said, you, you know, why you're passionate, why you're willing to go through the gates of hell uh, and do whatever it takes to accomplish the goals. Because it means more to you than, than just money. I mean, it might be that you, you need the money for something anyway, but, but it, you know, why, if, if there's something greater, it means more to you than that. What your exp expertise in this area? Why are you the best team for this specific 
job, exactly. for this specific goal. You know, why is it, why are you the best? What have you guys done? What is your background? <clears throat> Again, your passion, your, your history, your family, your what, your friends, whatever it is. Why you? And then uh, you had resilience in history, and and I guess you could probably show resilience by describing your history. You know, if you're somebody who has uh, accomplished things in the past or failed at business, really failing at a business is, and, and then getting back up and trying to do another one. It's probably showing more resilience than someone that's been successful Absolutely. in the past. So it, it, I guess it wouldn't be a bad thing to to show that you've failed in the past. Is that correct? Absolutely. And um, and and this sort of um, goes back to the, what we were talking about talking about earlier about sort of um, why it's so important to to try and find um, you know a, a a wave that's pushing your business forward because you know as we talked about it is really hard you know, building a startup and, um, and you, and all of those skills that we talked about, you need buckets of, you know, resilience, passion, um, um, uh, a good knowledge of, of sort of what, what you're doing and, and where you what you're sort of, where you want to take the business to. But if you can do that in a space that's, that's got this, you know, wave behind you, a change that's coming, that's going to create a big market in the future that makes that so much easier. And, 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 um, often with the companies that we try to sort of um, to get behind and work with. We're, that's why we're, we're, we're so focused on looking to try and tap into that because it really does sort of, um, you know, those two together is, yeah. is the sort of holy grail of what like, you're looking it's for. It's like when you're at the airport and you walk into your plane and you get on one of the magic carpet things that walk with you, you know, you walk twice as fast yeah. as the floor is <laughs> moving forward. It's a similar concept. It's like, well, I'm moving forwards anyway. But now the floor's also moving, so so yeah. I'm going to get there faster. That's that's a, a wave analogy, exactly. But, but uh, I could have just used the fucking wave and surfers, but the airport works too. Yeah. But um, and then the other thing, it just still on team and people, is an advisory board and and other investors. Um, you know, if I'm going to be going and raising capital, I'm going to be before I do that. I'm going to be going and putting together if I have, obviously someone like myself has the greatest luxury in the world to be able to do that because my whole business is based on knowing really successful business people. But, but, um, but even if I didn't have that, I would still be leveraging relationships and, 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 and contacting people to try to build the most high profile possible um, advisory board as well, because that's, that's just even more social proof. So you've sold the team. You said, this is why we're the best team. This is why we're passionate. This is why this is our expertise in the area. Why us? Um, this is the different things we do. This is our history. And now look on top of all of that, this is our wave uh, that we're, we're riding. Uh, and on top of all of that, we have this killer uh, board of advisors, uh, advisory board who are supporting us. Basically, if you don't jump on board with us now after all that, then you're silly. You're, you're going to lose out because look at the social proof. It's, it's just, it's sales, isn't it? It's, it's just sales. Exactly right. And, and having that, you know, sort of just um, building up a network of, of people around you is, is, is so, so obviously with the team itself, as you say, you know, it's a great point, you know, with the advisors and then um, sort of going back to kind of, if you're looking to sort of, to get investments, um, one thing that we um, advice that we always try to give to founders is, to all the time be looking at um, at building that network up about who could be potential investors into your company. So 
you can look at. Because if you go for a sort of scattergun approach of trying to approach sort of everybody that you think might be um, of interest, you, what you're probably going to end up is getting a lot of no's, um, which is demoralizing. So it's actually so much better to, to do your research and look at so, you know, in, in, in the venture capital space, you want to look at um, which firms maybe look at the portfolio of companies that they work with and see, are there, you know, do they work with similar companies to what we're doing? Are they interested in similar going after similar potential markets? You know, there's, there's lots of great ways that you can um, start to get it, get in contact with and, you know, people from those, those, those companies. So you can go to industry events um you can sort of start reading the blogs that they're on and 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 sort of you know and and, you know they read their comments if you add comments and they're intelligent ones um you can sort of follow that follow you know people on twitter there's 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 lots and lots of different ways that you can just start to immerse yourself in the ecosystem around the potential sort of um venture capital companies that you're you're interested in in getting investment from um are you saying to uh, so are, are you saying to uh, actually start building relationships with these people before you're even raising capital so that when you do, there's always is there already that trust there? Exactly right. Because it's it's uh, it always takes a lot longer than you realise. But if you've already got those relationships in place, then you've got a big leg up. So another thing that we always um, try and encourage founders to do is, is um, you know, you can give regular updates to the potential sort of investors, even, you know, that you're interested in. Um, and that could be, you know, a monthly update about what's going well and what you're having trouble with and what you might need help with. Um, we often say to, it's, you know, if you can ask for advice before you ask for money and, and, and have a relationship where that's, that's feasible, that's, that's a great way to, um, you know, to, to, to build up your network. So when you do get to a point that you really feel that um, you're at a great stage to take on that funding, then uh, you already have those conversations are already taking place. I love that. Ask for advice before money. It's so true because that means you've got that relationship with someone. If they're giving you advice, they obviously like you and uh, they, they don't care for you, but they, they, they have that care factor for you. You know, like, I want this person to win. Oh, I like this guy or girl. He's a good person. Like, and and you, you're almost building a friendship before um, going for the shallow, hey, can I have money? And then when, when you do want to go for money, it's kind of like, hey, we're actually raising at the moment. Like it's more just letting them know you're raising. And it, if I'm going to invest, I've made two investments before and both of them, I knew the people, both were through Cub, and both of them, I knew the people extremely well. It was it was just kind of like, um, yeah, I've met a lot of smart people, but uh, um, very few I'd ever invest in, and these people were some that I would have. So I invested in the person. We already knew each other. We had that trust, that friendship. If they fail, they fail, but I went into that knowing that that's a possibility. And, you know, I just think the the yeah, that that's a good way to remember to build relationships before asking for money, which is ask for advice before money. Exactly. And, and you, um, you know, you hit the nail on the head with the word trust that you mentioned there as well, because that's such an important um, aspect, of, you know, in, well, in business in general, but particularly, obviously, if you're looking to, um, you know, gain investment or, um, or you're looking to invest, you, you, you want to sort of build a, a, a strong level of trust between the two parties. And, and one of the um, often mistakes that a lot of founders, um, make 
is is really insisting on sort of putting in um, NDAs and sort of you know uh, with interested investor parties before you know because it's it, particularly in the venture capital space what that really shows is that you haven't spent much time in the ecosystem because for us to do our job properly we need to be able to talk about share that information that's been put forward to us talk about it maybe want to reach out to sort of experts in in those fields and get their advice so if you're putting that in place right at the very beginning you're actually making it very hard for us to sort of to do our job so what we often say is if there's something that's really confidential, just don't put it in that deck, you know, um, that, the, the, the deck that you, that you put forward should really be just, um, an opportunity to start that conversation going, start building that relationship, um, with those potential investors. And uh, yeah, so basically don't send an NDA before you send your pitch deck. Cause it and just, it looks amateurish and we can't, yeah, it actually puts up that uh, I don't trust you front before. Because, for example, if you had a friendship, you had a relationship with someone, you know, a good relationship with someone, you're going to feel more comfortable to just send that pitch deck. And, and you know, you, you're obviously hoping, but you'd hope that they're doing the right thing by you and they're doing only what's necessary for them to get, the, you know, to have the right information to potentially invest. Exactly. But if you start sending NDA straight away, you're almost like, mm, I don't trust you, you might be dodgy. And it just shows you, you've, you've probably not spent that much time in the ecosystem. That's, you know, straight away. I mean, um, another is with financials. We often encourage sort of not, you know, um, this is again, a, you know, I'm talking about early stage uh, investing that we do. Often these companies are pre-revenue. So they're, they're trying to put forward projections, but they're, you know, it's made it's, up. Well, it's impossible, really. Yeah. You can, you know, you can, made up. you can put, put a, <laughs> your thumb in the air and go, well, look, we think this is the side of the market. This is what we'll do. But but actually, it's it's so hard to predict. And often, and they all show the same amazing graph that we're all going to do this, you know, yeah. sort of. So we don't spend too much time on that. You know, of course, if there's, if you put forward something and you say, look, we're going to, you know, we're a software company um, and we're going to onboard a thousand customers in our first month and we've got no budget for customer service. And then, then that just shows a lack of sort of foresight on, on actually the business that you're doing. So <laughs> how things work, how things work. So things so that there, there could be things, obvious things that might jump out, but really when we're looking at financials, it's really just to show, look, do you have, you know, you're saying you've got experience in perhaps in this, in this industry and space, do you have an understanding really of just how a business operates? And if you were to, to sort of um, to grow in that space, sort of, 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 you know, kind of what cost might look like. But as I say, we, we say, look, don't get too bogged down in, in all that stuff, which again, as I think is, is probably um, a mistake that a lot of founders do make. And, and really, if they follow your first, all your advice links quite well together, because if someone was to follow your first advice and say that the people and the team and the wave or the, the, the change wave, whatever you called it, are the most important things. Well, everyone, first of all, knows the change waves that are currently happening. None of them are secrets. Second of all, your team is unique. You know, I can't invest in the same business that is a different team because it's not the same business. The team is what's unique about the business. And so if they're really promoting the team and the people as the thing that the, the most valuable part of the investment, in addition with the potential new opportunity caused by the wave, well, those things are I mean, the wave is shared. Multiple people can catch a wave and the team is unique. Therefore, you've got nothing to hide. You, you probably want people to know about it because it might get more attention and more potential investments. And so uh, leading to the final thing, uh, which you said was kind of at the bottom of your three most important things you look at, change wave people, uh, product. 
And um, how do you analyze products? So how do you how do you look at products? Yeah, it's a good question. So I mean, often when we're looking at companies, they are they 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 may not even have the product sort of built at that stage. Um, so it's something that continually, um, you know, evolves. And and good teams will, you know, it, it, I think a mistake that is often made is teams take too long to, they worry too much like it has to be perfect. But the reality is that it's often, and, it, and this is sort of the Eric Ries sort of lean startup mentality, which is a great book if, if you've never read it, but that's sort of, um, and he's been um, very influential sort of um, in, in this mentality of, of um, essentially you, you, you get something out there and then you, you learn off, um, off your customers and, and you, you, you know, you, you continually make improvements to what you're doing. And, and, and we often, you know, sort of encourage that sort of um, mentality. Um, and, and, and I think it's, it's good for, for companies um, to look to, you know, get stuff out if you can, you know, and, and you're happy that it's not going to sort of, uh, you know, that you've got something that is good enough that you're going to sort of um, get reasonably good feedback and reviews. It doesn't have to be perfect. If you can do that, then when you do look to raise money, if you have already have a product that's out there and you've got some positive uh, customer feedback, you've got some, um, some, some traction, then that's really going to help you to, um, to raise at a much higher valuation. So really the later, the, 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 the the later you can raise or the later you need to raise on your journey, the better because the higher your valuation is, which in turn is going to give you a, a longer runway um, before you kind of, what's that called? A capital runway? Yeah. It's, it's really sort of, yeah. Um, and, and, and the big thing is the, is the you know, the, um, the equity in the company is something that a lot of founders often give away too much too early on. So the great thing is if you, um, if you're raising at a higher valuation, then what that means is you can raise more money and give away less equity. Mm. Um, and that will really help you. A, obviously it's great because you, you know, whatever happens with the company, you as the founders and, and, um, will be rewarded better for having, you know, obviously the more equity that you have, but you're going to have to, if you're raising money, um, uh, give away equity at those different stages and you get obviously diluted. And if you give away, as I say, too much too early, what that can actually put off the sort of um, the big tier one venture capital companies, because they might look at a uh, business and say, well, the founders only now have 10, mm. 15% each. They're not going to be that bored in. Uh, are they? How exactly? Mm. And if they raise again, they're going to sort of come down. So, so then often you have sort of and not just of, that, but they're probably not that shrewd business people either because they've given away their entire company. So now they're basically just working for some people. Exactly right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So really, the lesson is you have to extend your kind of capital or your equity runway in terms of the later you raise the first round, the bigger valuation you can have, and therefore the more round you can um, raise maintaining still a very large portion, ideally a majority portion or, or the largest portion of, of equity before your um, uh, capital event of either selling or listing or whatever yeah. it may be. And, and, and interestingly, there is a movement sort of um, at the moment towards actually um, companies, they're, they're called sort of like micro, often a good example is like a micro SaaS, which is software as a service. 
companies where you'll have a founder that will set set up a, a cool product and they'll try and uh, they may they may own a hundred percent of the company or they may just give away a little bit of equity to sort of to to sort of uh, bootstrap that and what they will then do they go to there's a, there's a great company called micro acquire that sort of is a good example of this that they take sort of uh, these sort of small to medium size businesses and they can and you can put them on there and for acquisition and the great thing there is if you build up a you know a, a small company that's um that's 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 building, you know, you know, let's say it's doing sort of two or three million a year, um, and and that's with a you know a five x sort of valuation. So let's say you know that's between ten and fifteen. Well, if you own 100 percent of a of a, a company that's worth ten between ten and fifteen million, that could c- can often be, mean more money than if you have built a huge company that's worth hundreds of millions, but you've given away so much equity that you actually only have a tiny bit left. So there's a growing movement with founders to say, actually, you know, I don't have to go down this path of of um, of trying to sort of build billions and billions of dollars exactly worth of, uh, and giving away all this equity. And, yeah. Actually, could I potentially build something where I I maintain a large chunk of the equity and actually sort of um, can yeah. I build a hundred million dollar company and own eighty uh, percent of it exactly, or even a ten million dollar mm. company? Mm. Yep. And um, and just how do you manage your founders? So let's say you invest uh, as a venture capital firm, they need to be reporting to you. I'm assuming they would report monthly or whatever they would be. How do you like to work with the founders? How do you like to kind of, how do you like them to even manage you as the investors in terms of expectations and, and, and results? Yeah. So we always sort of, um, it's sort of three things. It's sort of like uh, what's going well, it, um, what are you having trouble with and, and how can we help you? That's always sort of those three areas we're looking for feedback on, and it's it's usually sort of it often with the with the startups, and it's in the early days where they really need, um, you know, sort of our help, and that's where we'll be much more hands on and involved as they sort of they grow with the, with the bigger ones now that have um, that have really taken flight. They're they're at a different stage now in their journey. Um, and they need a different sort of skill set. So often that's brought in with the sort of the, the big tier one venture capital companies that we, you know, that could like, how do we take this to a big mm. IPO on the NASDAQ? Um, which isn't something that that we'll sort of, you know, get involved in. We're, we're really at that early stage of sort of like, look, how can we help? And often that is opening up sort of um, our network to them and, and seeing sort of, um, you know, how can we help them sort of build a great team, areas to focus on. And, and often being a sounding board because... It's, it's often when you're in there, you know, it's the old adage of uh, uh, sort of on a ship, if you're in the engine room um, working away, sometimes you just need to sort of to, to get up onto the, um, you know, sort of in the captain's deck and actually sort of look out over the horizon. And, and, and that's where we try and sort of, um, you know, just to help them to keep focusing on, on sort of, you know, what's the end game here and, and, and sort of um, and, and, and help them as much as we can sort of to navigate through to that. But how do you like the founders to communicate with you at that beginning stage or, um, you know, before they get, before they become deep op, well, they're still uh, my garage. Um, how do you like the founder to communicate with you? How, how often and, and, and I guess how? Yeah, so it's usually monthly and, and, and that will be sort of formally. So in, in some cases we sit on the board, so you'll have sort of monthly board meetings, um, which obviously is a very structured way to go through things. But we like to sort of with with, with all like the companies that we we will actually divvy up the portfolio between the partners 
And then um, with the ones that we look after specifically, it's, you know, the, the, the phone is, is always, so often some of it's, you know, we, we could be chatting with some um, daily if they're going through a challenging period and, and, they, and they really need help. So it, it really is a sort of a close relationship that you build that is, look, we're here to help you when, whenever you need that help. And what are things founders have done in the past that you would say a big no-no? Don't do that as the founder uh, to your investors. The, the biggest one is actually not giving us, you know, not not using us um, because the whole point when you're, um, you know, with what we're trying to do is it, we're saying it's not just capital, but we're also giving you sort of, you know, our our help and expertise. That's that's a big part of of what you're you're getting from us. So the challenge has often been with the with the founders that don't get in touch you know they're, they're really bad at giving us updates we're chasing them to to know what's going on and 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 if there is a problem you know often what they'll do is it's that stick their head in the sun they don't want to tell you the bad news but actually that's the worst thing that they could do it, it's so much better to look, tell us quickly tell us early and then we can try and help you um you know sort of with that problem that you've got so the most important thing is when when there's a problem, bring it up quickly. Exactly. Really, right. that is because a we could prevent it, we could resolve it, we could assist, but also b it's showing honesty and it's showing that that we're on the same team. Exactly yeah. right. And there's some you know um, some founders um, they start with the, the the bad news, which is great. You know I love that. It's sort of rather often the, uh, the traditional way is look here's all the great here's all the good news and oh and, and towards the end by the way we've got a few problems here. But to get a really productive board meeting, um, often if you can start with all the stuff that's that you, the, the, the bad news where you're really having a problem and let's get it, let's get stuck into that and try and sort of help you with that um, is, 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 is we found, you know, um, a, a great way to do it. Yeah, it's also a bonding experience. Exactly. You know, you're bonding. Um, awesome. Well, Charles, we're, we're almost out of time. I, I guess I wanted to ask maybe, um, do you have a, a, a favorite book recommendation you could provide, uh, you could share with the listeners? So I've probably got two books that I love sort of um, for just a, um, a great kind of read. Um, my favorite book of all time is actually The Count of Monte Cristo, which is just a romping kind of uh, tale. And um, I think the, the author, when he wrote it, sort of um, it, it, it was being released weekly into the local sort of French newspaper. So every chapter really ends on a big cliffhanger. Um, so that's, that's, that's a book that I've always loved and sort of captivated my imagination and, um, sort of, I, I mean, I, there's a million and one great business books that, that, um, I could recommend, but one for me personally that I've always loved is, 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 is a book called the magic of thinking big. And, um, and it's, um, I think it's Professor Swartz or something like that. Um, but it's essentially it, the, the whole adage is that, if you believe that you can move mountains, you really can, which might sound very cheesy, but it's, it's very much about that sort of, um, of, of, of getting into that mindset of, of, um, of being ambitious and, um, and, and, and really believing in backing yourself. And that's, it, it, it's written by a psychologist and it's just a fantastic book that I'd recommend anyone interested in, you know, well, not just in business, but just anyone to actually life. read exactly yeah. for life. Yeah. I, I fully agree with that because, yeah, I do that myself. Like I'll, uh, when when you believe that you're you not just capable, but that you should be you should be that you you almost your brain looks for the ways to be able to do it. Exactly right. You know, you kind of trick yourself into finding out how to do it. There's a way. Someone else has done it. They're not better than me. Surely I can do it. And exactly there must right. be a way. And so when you believe that, you you are always looking for that 
That, that's what I think anyway. But um, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your, uh, I guess it, m- it must be five years or, or even potentially longer um, involvement in CUB or a, as a, obviously a member of our community and, and now an even deeper involvement being on our uh, investor board with the club and kind of uh, leading the uh, other 130 plus uh, now investors that we have in our community or venture capitalists that we have uh, in our community. Uh, I'm so grateful as I am for your time today. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Daniel. It's been, it's been lovely. And to our listeners, if you want to find out more about Mr. Charles Canning-Smith and Ballpark Ventures, uh, go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you can find uh, – uh, actually, you can shortcut his um, – Initiative. Yeah, you can you can shortcut his test of initiative and get in contact with Ballpark and Charles straight from our website at www.cub.club forward slash podcast. Um, and if you want to catch up with us on uh, social media, go to at the Club United Business on Instagram – Um, Charles, thank you again, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. Hope you enjoyed the show.